Anyway, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, uh, as you're doing so, book recommendation. One of the books um, that we've recommended to the preachers or given to the preachers as a baseline, apart from the Bible in this series, is a book by Raymond Ortland, Proverbs, Wisdom That Works. It's called Preaching the Word Series. Now that sounds like it's just for preachers. Uh, I wrote on Amazon the other day, actually, it's good for everybody because it's, it's such a good read. It's not just preachers uh, aimed at preachers. Anybody can read that and benefit from it. And he, he has a wonderful way of communicating. So that's highly recommended. Um, it'll make Proverbs alive to you in a, in a very good way. But yeah, Proverbs um, chapter 1. And we're going to read um, from verse 8. From verse 8 in just a moment, if you're there. So here we are. Um, this, this morning, we're looking at the subject of danger ahead. Now, I'm sure you, you may not have wanted to, to go here. You'd much rather, like, get on with it and just roll with life and, and do life. But uh, you and I know that we're living in a world where danger signs are proliferating at an increasing rate. The next slide will show you exactly some of those signs. Um, I did hope that we could have them sort of firing in, but apparently we can't do that at the moment, so I just have to stay with the static. But, you know, looking at those, caution, hot surface, do not touch. Isn't that common sense? I would have thought if you've got a hot kettle, don't you know it's a hot kettle, etc. Um, you know, radiation risk, sharp blades. Yeah, you see these labels on a drawer. Sharp blades in here. Yeah, I guess if I open this drawer and I see a knife in there, I recognize it could cut me. But somehow we have to be told that if we pick up one of these knives, it could cut us. We think common sense, isn't it? All of those things. So there we are. That's the type of world that we're living in. And I'm sure that one of the reasons they are proliferating is because of the number of lawsuits. Somebody picks up a knife and they cut themselves and say, oh, nobody told me about this. I'm going to sue and I'm going to get, a cla- I'm going to get some money out of this. So we're living in that kind of culture where it seems that you've only got to trip over something and somebody's making a claim because there's that little bit of brick there that's just sticking up a little bit. That's the kind of culture that we're living in. Much of that, a few years ago, we'd have said, good old common sense, but today we need to be told that everything is dangerous for us. Watch out, um, or you might trip over, cut yourself, or whatever. The problem, of course, is that we're living at a huge pace today. The pace of life is a whole lot faster, and we have less time to, to think about things, to consider things. Now I have to confess that I've been guilty myself of one or two things. I've been up a, a, a tall ladder decorating a house right up in the, in the top of it. And I've just thought to myself, I can reach that bit, you know. And you stretch and you stretch and you stretch. And, you, and I've done it and I've suddenly thought, felt the ladder move. And suddenly you go back and you think, whoa, that was a close one, wasn't it? Much, much, much more sensible to go down the ladder, move it across and go back up again. Now, uh, on one occasion, I, I remember jumping over a gate with a pair of secateurs in my pocket, and nobody had put a label on the secateurs saying, do not leave open and do not place them in your pocket. And it so happens, as I leapt over this gate, I drew my hand across the top of the secateurs and promptly cut it open. Uh, it immediately went to the uh, accident and emergency. I've done it wallpapering, hanging wallpaper, going along. Oh, I just trimmed that piece off the top there, but nobody had put a label on the knife saying, be careful with this knife, because if you run it across the top of your finger, you'll cut the tendon. Uh, <laughs> So another trip to the accident emergency, and I realized I was becoming one of these statistics of do-it-yourselfers arriving at at the accident emergency. So, you know, we we live at a fast pace. We're kind of pushing life at its edges frequently. 
And that means that, in reality, we need to be told what is common sense. Somebody needs to say, look out, there's a, there's a step there. Look out, if you go over that, that's a cliff. You'll end up in the, down at the bottom. It won't be very pleasant for you, and that kind of thing. We, we kind of have to have those notices all around us. And Proverbs is a bit like that. It's, you, you look at it, and, and, and you look at these sayings, you think, well, that, that's really common sense, isn't it? Like, yeah, I get that. I, I understand it. But the reality is we're all caught up in everyday life and life can gather a pace and we can lose sight of, of life and we can get so, uh, a, we, we, our focus can be so much on where we're getting to or what we're doing, we miss some of what's going on around us. So Proverbs is full of some very good common sense sayings, if you like, common sense warnings. And we're going to look at two particular warnings that are, are big warnings in the day and age in which we live. Now, we need reminding because, A, we, we live in a fallen world. This world is, is under the curse. It's a world where temptation abounds. It's a world that is subject to the curse. That means that there are certain weaknesses in it. There are certain frailties to it. There are certain possibilities. Secondly, the reality is that there is an enemy about trying to tell us otherwise. He's trying to tell us that what we're doing is, is enlightened. It's actually progressive to be pushing the boundaries. It's actually the way of true freedom. You know, get rid of all the boundaries, cross them out, and and just go for it. It's the age of of self-expression, where true fulfillment is found. Well, whatever you feel, do it. Because that's you. Just express yourself. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. The reality is that we carry fallenness with us, and that can make us blind to the signs that are about us can make us blind to our circumstances, and even our desires can get skewed. Now, when you dig into this book, Proverbs, and, and you find the, the writer, the father, alerting his son to the dangers that exist, reminding him of his father's voice and his mother's voice. And those dangers are big dangers, dangers both within, dangers that are without Dangers perhaps we don't talk about so much, but maybe we ought to talk about a bit more. That they are very real dangers that can ensnare us and take our life, take our soul. You know, if you do something and you break your leg, you can go to an accident and emergency and, and have it fixed, and hopefully in a few weeks you'll, you'll be running again and playing golf and football and working and whatever. But... The consequences of these warnings, particularly these two that we're looking at this morning, is a whole lot more. They they involve our very lives. And they could result, if we don't take heed of the warnings, to a messed up mind. They could involve us in endangering or harming somebody else. They could mess up relationships. They can involve us in loss. There's a whole lot of pain that goes along with this particular warning. When you look at Proverbs, there are warnings about putting up security for people. There's warnings about being lazy. There's warnings about uh, false balances and pride and trusting in riches and hatred and language and anger and strife. And so you could go on. Many of us will perhaps have come into contact with some of those things, had to work them through in some way or other. The two areas that we're going to focus on this morning is going with the wrong crowd and sexual temptation. Two biggies that stand out right at the beginning of Proverbs. Before we get into that, though, let's 
hear what's happening in this book. Let's hear again that it is rooted in the Father's love. It's rooted in the Father's love. It is the Father's appeal to his kids. Both sections we're going to look at, this one in 1 verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for there are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Both sections we're looking at begin in that kind of way. This, This father appealing to his son, my son, listen to me. I love you. I care for you. I want the best for you. It's about discipleship. And discipleship is about raising the next generation. It's about shaping and equipping them for the purposes of God. And so it's about passing on wisdom. And to that extent, every one of us goes through this process in one way or another. The the reality is some more successfully than others. But God actually wants us all to be successful at it. And that's about imparting wisdom and receiving wisdom. So he's saying here, look, listen to your father and mother. Take note of of their advice. They've been this way. They know the perils. Don't think of them as old and fuddy-duddy, as disconnected from the real world. And, and, And the reality is they know about it. Guys, they've lived. I'm sure each one of us can remember mom and dad saying something to us or those who cared for us saying something to us about, you know, this and that and the other. And we just thought, yeah, okay. You know, and we thought... I'll never be like that when I'm a dad. And suddenly, when you're a dad, you're saying, now look here, you need to be careful. You need to watch out. You need to, and suddenly, you, you know, you know that there is wisdom. So what's this, what's the father saying here? He's saying, son, I want you to understand that this world that you're growing up in and that you will be a part of is a dangerous place. I want you to to, to, to warn you of the dangers of this world. I want to save you the pain and the anguish of going the wrong way, of getting it wrong, of the death and the destruction it will deal you and those around you. That's what he's saying negatively. Look out, my son. I love you so much. I don't want you experiencing that. Hear me. And positively, he's saying this. I want the best for you. I want you to live well, my son. I want you to succeed in life. So, you know, I can remember as a teenager thinking legalism, you know, rules and regulations. Actually, they have their place. They have their place. And when we read this book of Proverbs, we find them all over the place. We find them all over the word. It's not legalism, but life to hear these things. Now, as we enter into this and we look at these two subjects this morning, I just want to say, if in any way you've got it wrong run to the Father. Because that's what it's about. It's a saving word. It's a healing word. It's a rescuing word. It's a reviving word. And the Father loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And he is more willing to rescue you than you could imagine. The devil will whisper to you, you've blown it. You've lost it. Don't listen to that voice. Hear the Father's heart. Hear the Father's call. Run home to him. Say, God, my Father, I've messed up. I need you to clean me up. I need you to renew me so that I can live again. I've not only hurt my life, I've hurt the lives of others. This this book is about the love of God. It's about this redemptive God. 
The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, as it says somewhere in Proverbs. And though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Yeah, he comes along and he, he says, come on, my child. Let's get up. Let's clean you down. Let's put you back on the road again. So, the first thing we look at here is in chapter 1, verse 8. Don't go the way of sinners. It speaks of the folly of of going with the wrong crowd. It speaks of that herd mentality that exists in our world. It, It speaks particularly to peer pressure. And as you read these verses, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Uh, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods, and we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw your lot among us. We'll have one person. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men, they lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. You you read that, and it's kind of got your attention, and you think, wow, that's far from the world in which I live. Nobody's, there's no gangs down my road. There's nobody getting murdered in my corner of the world. For some, that may be the case. For you, it may not. But he's got our attention. Immediately, he's got our attention. What is going on here? This, this reference to bloodlust, uh, I believe, is more than just saying it, it's those who go out and physically murder. It is those who go out and take life by whatever means. And we'll see a little bit more of that in just a moment. He's talking and he's saying, beware of the gang, of the herd mentality, of peer pressure. And no matter what's involved, there's a measure of bloodlust going on. Blood's at stake. Confined itself in our own hearts, in our own minds. And so he says, and we're going to come back to that, he says, if sinners entice you, and be sure of this, they will... If sinners entice you, do not consent. The Hebrew is a reference to those who are habitual sinners. And he says, if they come along, and they will, then do not consent. And so what are you saying? What's the writer of Proverbs saying? He says, look, I want you to be forewarned so that you can be forearmed. That is godly wisdom. Don't wait for the occasion Understand now some of the dynamics of life, something of what goes on in this sinful world. Get it into your heart, get it into your mind. Don't wait till you find yourself in those circumstances wondering what on earth to do. Know the realities. Don't say it couldn't happen to me. Arm yourself now so so that should that occasion rise or when it arises, you are ready. You recognize it taking place in your world. And look at the promises. It can look pretty good. There's a promise in verse 13 of precious goods, of plunder. Come on, guys. You know, this will be good for us. There's the offer of one purse. Yeah, we'll we'll all take care of one another. And and there is the offer of community. That sense of brotherhood, of of being together. We'll take care of you. Now, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it, on the surface? The offer of goods, one purse, community, brotherhood. But we need to remember 
what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14. He says, the enemy disguises himself and goes around as if he were an angel of light. Oh yeah, if he turned up on your doorstep tomorrow morning carrying a fork and wearing a funny hat with horns on it, you'd tell him to get lost just like that. Well, he he doesn't do that. He disguises himself. He can look the part. He can look so alluring and so right. And suddenly you find yourself being drawn in. You're listening. And he's saying, and the writer of the Proverbs is saying, don't go there. God is saying, don't go there. I want you to notice at the end of that, verse 19, he says, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. This involves injustice. It's not just about the gang with the knives. It's about all kinds of life. This isn't just money. It's stepping on someone to get where you want. It's getting somebody to believe your story over against others. Hebrews 12 verse 15 says, Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So how does this play out in our lives, this sense of bloodlust, this sense of of unjust gain? Well, it can be seen in bullying, that tormenting of individuals to despair. It can be seen in the the old boys' network network where there's the backslapping buddy promoting network where all the buddies get promoted, but those who are not in are left out. That's bloodlust. It can be playing politics, whether it's in the office, in the club, or in the church. Those kind of political agendas that seek to maneuver some into place and some out of place. It can be seen in the oppressed, taking it out on those that they deem to have oppressed them. So they become the next oppressor. Bloodlust again. It can be seen in racism, the exalting of one above another, the putting of others down as non-persons. It can be seen in gossip the building of a fabricated story to destroy others so that you can be built up, you can feel better about yourself, you can get the promotion. It can be seen in factions. Those agendas that work within the hearts and minds of mankind, mankind, humanity. He's wanting to understand that actually... Yeah, this bloodlust can find its way into our lives in all sorts of different ways. And he's saying, be alert to it. Don't go with them. It's not worth it. You know, the devil calls us actually to mediocrity or infamy. God calls us to glory. (laughs) He does. Following the crowd will leave you in mediocrity and infamy. God calls us to glory. The devil calls us to use and abuse those around us. But God calls us to recognize that all are made in his his image. Those in your family, those you work with, those people moving in down your road. Every one of us is made in the image of God. The enemy calls us to the gang, but God calls us to a family. And that is totally, totally different. And I want you to notice there that in verse 9, wisdom makes us attractive. When we hear God and we take heed to these, 
these wise words, these wise warning words, it makes us attractive, for they're a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. They excel the wisdom that this world has to offer. Moving on. Beware of sexual temptation. Doesn't seem to matter where you are. You can't get away from sex. It's in the newspapers, on our TVs, it's on the advertising hoardings, it's in the popular songs that we hear. I sometimes wonder when I hear some of those songs and I see the young people walking around with them playing all the time, do you, that might be a good rhythm, but do you hear what they're saying? Because they can be subtly feeding something into your heart and into your mind. Because the beat's good, I like it. Wrong. What it's feeding you is corrupting you. I heard something the other day, I thought, whoa, is that really what they're singing? It's in the popular songs that we hear, and today it's at the end of a, the tap of a keyboard. We live in an age where life is considered to be about sexual adventure. Explore your sex, sexuality, no holds barred. I want to suggest to you that some of what we're seeing on our televisions at the moment is the reaping of a free love idea that existed in the 1960s and 70s. We don't need any boundaries. We see something of the consequences. So whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're young or whether you're old, we actually all need to hear this. None of us is beyond it. It's a reality. It's a temptation that is crippling lives, marriages, and ministries. The number of times, even this year, I've read of big ministries falling because of sexual immorality. I mean, come on. Let's, let's be aware of what's happening. The enemy is taking people out. He's not only ruining ministries, he's ruining lives, families, marriages. And in its most seductive and severest form, pornography, it's doing a huge amount of damage. The statistics are colossal, even of the number of Christians who are viewing internet pornography. And it's not just the men, high percentage, an increasingly high percentage of women as well. Before we go any further, let me affirm that sex is good. God made Adam and Eve. He made them in his image. And he made, made them male and female. And he said, this is, this is good. This is very good. Go forth and multiply. So before we go any further, let's hear that. Because the, the devil is, 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 is spoiling sex. But God says it is good. In fact, the, the relationship between a husband and wife is so good 
that God actually uses as a picture of Jesus and the church. Wow. So you can see one of the reasons why the devil wants to distort it and destroy it. Because it is about Jesus and the church as well. The problem is we live in a world where the enemy has twisted and distorted sex. From the very first moment that he lied to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he has been lying down through the generations. In more recent times, that lie expressed itself through Sigmund Freud, the father of psychoanalysis. He effectively replaced the soul with sexual identity, seeing sex as morally neutral and a fixed part of our personal makeup and identity, whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, lesbian, or whatever. The Bible doesn't define us that way. We are not, first of all, sexual beings. We are living souls made in the image of God. And there is a world of a difference. We are living souls, not living sexes. When you read this book... I was just staggered just going over the first number of chapters. And the first nine chapters are foundational in Proverbs. And of the first seven of them, 65 verses deal with the issues of sexual temptation. That's roughly around 30% of what he's writing. You can hear the heart of the father here for his son, for his daughter. Because this applies whether it's male or female, whether it's son or a daughter. You can hear his heart. This is such a big issue, he's going to spend 30% of these first seven chapters dealing with it. Isn't it repetitious? Yes, it needs to be. Because it is such an important issue. We know when we read the Bible, there are stories of people who got it wrong. Think of King David, the man who wrote such wonderful psalms. You think of him, this man who had a heart after God, like no other king of Israel before or since. One day, it says, it was a time when kings went to war. Seems to be, they didn't play football then, they went to war. (laughs) The kings went to war. And David didn't. He sat on the rooftop. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. And he was just looking around his kingdom. And as he looks around all the houses and so on, he sees a naked woman, Bathsheba, bathing. Nothing immediately wrong with that. What was wrong was staying there. Staying there. Taking the second look the third look, the fourth look, the fifth look, until he's got to the point where he's saying, get me that woman. I want to lie with her. He compounds his sin by not only getting the woman and having sex with her, she then is pregnant and he realizes he's in an awful situation. It ends up in murder, the murder of her husband. The man who wrote many of our psalms is the man who orchestrated the murder of a woman's husband. 
it's amazing that out of that, we have one of the most penitential psalms where David confesses his sin and seeks the mercy and the grace of God. So again, just a reminder, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Temptations will come. That's the reality of this world that you and I are living in. And he's saying, look, you're growing up in a fallen world. There are temptations out there. You need to know about it. You need to be aware of it. You need to understand the dynamics of it so that when it comes, you recognize it and you know what to do. And so he talks about the word of God and the necessity of of binding this understanding to him and and so on. But let's just dig in here. As time's running away. In 6 verse 24 and 7 verse 21, it can seem so right. You know, she comes along with flattering speech that makes him feel good. And the reasoning can sound so good. It can sound so good for that moment. There's beauty there. There's personal interest in 7 verse 15. She says, I have come to meet you, to seek you eagerly. That can be, if you're in a place where perhaps you feel your wife or your husband is not paying your your attention and and a man or a woman comes along and says that to you, you can think, wow, this person is paying attention to me. This person has an interest in me. This person is showing me love. In chapter 7, verse 18, it says, Come, let, let us have our fill of love. That's a lie. This is not love. This is sexual indulgence. This is self-serving sex. This is not, this is not the sex that belongs to marriage. This is, this is personal passion being worked out for personal purposes. And then in 7, verse 14... You read these amazing words. I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. Suddenly, she and this situation can sound very spiritual. Oh, we are, I'm right with God. This is so right. It's okay. I've got it covered before God. You've got the arrangements, you've got the invitation. In 6.27, I'm just backing up there. In 6.27, it says there, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and not be burned? And the obvious answer to that is no. If you carry fire next to your chest, you will be burnt. You see, it is more than just having sex. It is involving something or other of the giving of ourselves to one another. There's something spiritual that takes place in this act. That's what Paul talks about in Corinthians. About what happens and the unity of it. And how if you get involved into an adulterous relationship, something happens to you that spoils the relationship you have with your husband or your wife. It seeks to rob us of our soul. It, it sells our soul out. Something goes 
there's bitterness. And as you look through the chapters here, and you can read them in in your own time, you discover that there's bitterness. There's loss of honor. There's the loss of strength and health. There There are broken relationships. There is the loss of life. You get the very clear clear impression, this is not good for anyone. It contaminates. It pollutes. Temptation and desire can seem so legitimate. She understands me. He understands me. Oh, well, once in a while it, it won't hurt, will it? And actually, nobody will know. It can just be between you and me. It can just be our thing. And I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. I can stop at any time I want. No, you can't. Once you set yourself on that road, you're on the road to destruction, as it were. And I don't mean hell in that sense. I mean destroying life, marriage, family, etc., And this is what the right, this is, the father's heart here is, I I love you, my child. I love you, my son. I want the best for you. I want to protect you by warning you. Let me just say a word very briefly on, on pornography. We've already referenced the fact that it's, it's out there, it's available. You no longer need to go to the the booksellers on a quiet day and reach for the top shelf and buy that book when no one is looking and that magazine and then stash it under your bed and just pull it out every now and again. You can sit in your office in a quiet moment and you can just click a button and you can view it. It could be in your office. It could be in your study at home. It's there. And the reality is it is so freely available. That's why parents, you need to put protection on your internet. It's available. Do it. But you know, when you watch porn, something happens in your head. Something happens in your head. You and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have an amazing brain. As we sit here, as I talk, as we listen, there is an amazing amount of activity going on in our heads. Lots of electrical current running down certain pathways. Lots of neural activity. When you watch... Pornography, something happens in your mind. It's like a poison arrow that goes in, and you may pull it out, but it leaves something behind. When you look at internet pornography, any form of pornography, it will release in you dopamine. You'll feel good. You'll feel excited. You'll be thrilled. 
but there will be such a dopamine overload that your brain can't cope with it. And so the neurons shut down some of their receptors to quieten the noise of what is taking place. The result of that is next time you need to look at something more graphic. You need to look at something more extreme. And so you can see how it becomes addictive. This neural pathway is forged in your mind. And it's a path that you must tread time and time again. Dopamine stimulates and rewires the brain's reward pathway. Beware. Listen to this. Whether we fantasize or actualize, the act is the same in our minds. It creates a synaptic connection that, if repeated often enough, becomes addictive. I've got another quote in a minute. We'll liken it to heroin. Describing porn's effect to a U.S. Senate committee, Dr. Jeffrey uh, Satinova of Princeton University said this, it is as though we have devised a form of heroin unable, sorry, it is though we have devised a form of heroin usable in the privacy of one's own home and injected directly to the brain through the eyes. Anybody who knows anything about heroin will know the power of that statement. drug being, as it were, injected through the eyes. The outcome is damage to the brain. Science shows that any addiction affects the frontal lobes, the area of of logical problem solving and decision making. And it starts shrinking. It applies to any addiction and it gets harder to break free. The effects of porn, it kills love. It's a lie. It will ruin your sex life. It'll hurt your partner. It will leave you lonely. It can result in violence. Warped ideas about sex as suddenly you need something bigger and more extreme to satisfy those urges, those desires. And so it becomes increasingly deviant. And it has a hatred of families. I've just... Run those out. There's a whole lot more that we could be said, could be said. And what the writer of Proverbs is saying is, I want you to understand this. Because there's a whole lot at stake here. Don't be fooled. Sexual folly complicates everything. You can't keep it in a corner. At some point, it's going to come out and sexual folly will complicate everything. Let's move on, shall we? These are warnings. Warnings because God wants the best for us. He wants us to love life and live it to the full. The enemy will come along and suggest otherwise. So, as we draw this in this morning, let's 
look at the fact that there is help and that there is hope in Christ. It might be that you find yourself in that category this morning, the category of, of going the way of sinners, of being enticed by them, and somehow you've got caught into something in the workplace or whatever it is, and you don't know how to get out of it. There's an answer in Jesus. It may be that you're being tempted sexually. It may be that you, you, you go, go, go to that secret place and you're looking at those images. There's hope and there's help at the cross. And that's the beauty of the Bible. Not only is it a book that warns us, it's also a book that redeems us. It's a book that saves us. It's a book that rescues us. And so when we do fall prey to sin, it says that God has made a way. John says, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. The enemy would say, you've lost it. You've blown it. You're beyond the pile. And you can go through, as it were, the surface of Christianity. You can go through the put put on. And it's all dry and dead, but you go through it because you don't want anybody else to know. God knows. And God is interested in forgiving you, in cleansing you, in putting you right and getting you back on your feet again. Wow. That's our God. Don't let the enemy keep you locked up in your sin. Confess it. Brothers and sisters, if you are in that position, you can't break the sin of pornography on your own. Statistics tell it. We confess it to God, we need to confess it to somebody. Bring it into the light with a Christian brother, Christian sister. Go to them and say, I'm struggling in this. Yeah, I've looked at images. I've just started or I've been looking at them for a while. I, I, I see what you're saying. I see what God is saying here. I see the Father's heart here. And I want to break free. The devil wants to keep us in darkness. Keep us in secret. Oh, they'll judge you for it. No, we won't. We'll love you and seek to help you and bring you to a place of health and wholeness. So you need to confess it. You need to share it with somebody. You need to make yourself accountable. And there's some accountability programs out there. Some in the church use them. Uh, And one of those is Covenant Eyes. It's a a system that you can set up on your computer and you can work it with your accountability partner and you know that somebody else can track your movements on the internet. It's a way of just being protecting, guarding, keeping one another. There are other ways of doing it as well. Businessmen, anybody, businessmen, women, anyone who goes away for any length of period, let me ask you a question. When you're away, how are you accountable? What are you reading? What are you watching on the TV or the internet? Where are you going when you you suddenly feel drained? Where are you going? What company are you keeping? Are there things that you would be ashamed of if we got to hear about them back here?
for your husband or your wife got to hear about them. If you're someone who goes away a lot, make yourself accountable to somebody. Make yourself accountable. That way we break the power of the enemy. That way we can see the victory of God in our circumstances. Somebody who will ask you those difficult questions, who will home in on you, say, what have you been reading? Where have you been going? What have you been doing? And then, as we, again, close. Those who are single, keep yourself. Keep your heart and mind with all diligence. Don't let the enemy pollute you in any way. Keep yourself in every possible way. Those who are married, enjoy your husband and wife. This felt a bit flat when I said it in the earlier one. Because it does say, the Bible says that husbands and wives should enjoy one another sexually. Not just the nice meal that you get, but to enjoy one another sexually. Just look at this chapter, chapter 5, if you want something to back, me, back you up. Drink water from, verse 15, drink water from your own system, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad and streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone, not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated with her always in her love. Wow. Husbands and wives, get that into your heart and mind and into your marriage. That's what the Bible says. It says, look at one another. It says, keep your hands on one another. You're all looking at me a little bit, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) And this word intoxicated, it actually means in the Hebrew, be led astray. In other words, let your husband or your wife lead you astray sexually. It's all right, the Bible says it, so I feel quite happy saying it. You know, but husbands and wives, the best antidote is to be thoroughly satisfied with one another. Thoroughly satisfied with one another. Well, time has gone, hasn't it? Let me just close by just reading the verses at the end of of Proverbs chapter 4. Listen again, the appeal. Verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Let them keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Do you hear the Father's heart? It's the Father speaking to his sons and daughters this morning. He's saying, 
I'll love you too much than just simply let you go through life and discover what it's all about too late. I want you to know now. I want you to be forewarned so that you can be forearmed. I want you now to know how this battle works. I want you now to put on the armor of God and to be strong in him and in the power of his might.